All right. You know, one thing I've never noticed about that song, I know that we've been known to criticize it because it says we three kings and we really don't know. But that uh, song, when you sing all five uh, stanzas, is uh, generally um, you don't. You know the first one, and that's about it. That, that tells the entire story, and I had never noticed that about that song. Isaiah chapter 7 is where we're going to be tonight. Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Another one of those well-known verses that uh, we associate with Christmas and for good reason. Isaiah chapter 7 and beginning in verse number 14. And once you find it, if you could stand in reverence to God's word tonight. Isaiah chapter 7 and beginning in verse number 14. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. I want to preach a message tonight entitled, In God We Should Trust. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that once again, Lord, that you would bless the service tonight. Give me clarity of speech, Lord, and give us all understanding as you lead and guide us. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. As you know, some of the best and most well-known of the prophecies concerning the Messiah are found in the prophecies of Isaiah. As we learned last week, while we are considering the prophecy of Micah, we were in the book of Micah last week, Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, which, uh, uh, which uh, predicts, and I guess that's not really the right word for it, because it's not a prediction if it's 100% true. He prophesied that the Lord would be born in Bethlehem. Well, Isaiah and Micah were contemporaries, and we learned that last week, that uh, uh, they both uh, ministered at the same time, and they both uh, ministered and probably knew one another. But whereas Micah prophesied to the everyday working man, Isaiah was called of God to prophesy to the kings. As a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah chapter 1, the very first verse of this book, we can see the kings that, that Isaiah prophesied to. The Bible says the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amaz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And so Isaiah, like Micah, was called to the southern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah. And as I said, some of the best and some of the most well-known of all the prophecies concerning the Messiah are found right here in this book. Isaiah began his ministry at a time when Jerusalem and Judah were long past the pinnacle of their power. As a matter of fact, as we know, Israel was, uh, they were the united tribes of Israel under King Saul and under King David and under King Solomon. And under Solomon was where really uh, 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 Israel reached its pinnacle. But of course, after Solomon, the nation was split up and the ten northern nations, they uh, formed their own country, their own, their own nation, those ten nor uh, northern tribes. And of course, that became the nation of Israel, sometimes referred to as Ephraim. And then the southern 
uh, tribe of Benjamin and Judah, they formed their own nation, which would become known as the nation of Judah. And that would be, of course, the nation from which the, uh, the, the, uh, the sons of David would continue to reign there in Jerusalem. Well, Isaiah has come long after the pinnacle of the power of Israel. God had used David to bring Israel to the point where she was greatly feared by her neighbors. And Solomon, David's son, was used of God to cause Israel to become the envy of the world. By the time we get to Isaiah, it's hard to believe that that was ever the case with Israel. But 1 Samuel chapter 10 and in verse number 1 tells us that the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, so she came to prove him. In other words, she came to see if the rumors she had heard. Um, And sometimes you hear things about people or you hear things about situations and you think, well, it's just too good to be true. I got to see it for myself. And the queen of Sheba had heard all of these rumors about the grandeur of the of Solomon's kingdom and his palaces and the and the temple and his servants and how Israel had been greatly blessed and was an extremely wealthy nation so she came to prove it the bible tells us in first samuel chapter 10 verse number 4 that when she came and she had seen all Solomon's wisdom the house that he had built the meat at his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel, his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. She said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in mine own land for thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came. And mine eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God. Man, what a testimony. As uh, the Queen of Sheba had heard these things, and man, you ought to see what's going on in Israel. You just won't believe it. You got to see what's going on in Jerusalem. You just won't believe it. I mean, uh, they lack for nothing there. Just even the clothes that they wear, they, they smell of blessing, smell of wealth, and, and, and there's, a, there's nothing fake. And so the Queen of Sheba, and I'm sure she was not the only one, had heard of the fame of Solomon and his wisdom. Here's the thing. When God is in something, it is beyond imagination. It is beyond what you could, uh, what you could ever think of on your own. And so the Bible says that she went, and she says, I just can't believe it. You know, usually when something is built up, have you ever had someone build up a, like a movie for you? And they have built it up and they have said, man, you just got to see it. It's just amazing. You just won't believe it. And so it's been built up in your mind. And so you go to see it. You have these high expectations. And then it's like, wow, that was a huge disappointment. I know many of you uh, have heard me use uh, this testimony. That's how Disneyland was for me. 
not to ruin it for anyone, but it had been built up in my mind. I mean, people would, kids would come back from Disneyland and say, you just won't believe it. It's just unbelievable. And I would just dream about, man, Disneyland. I've heard it's the happiest place on earth. It's just got to be something. And I went and I had built it up in my mind. And I was just amazed at how disappointed I was. Of course, the fact that I was 19 the first time I went might have had something to do with it. <laughs> but nonetheless, the <laughs> I could not say the half has not been told. The lines are miserable. The weather is hot. And, and, and it's expensive. And, and, and uh, man, uh, Sleeping Beauty's castle is not a castle at all. It's a movie prop is all it is. So disappointed. But when the Queen of Sheba had heard about Israel and Jerusalem in particular and Solomon and his wisdom and his apparel and what his servants were wearing and how they were happy to serve. No one is ever happy to serve. But God had blessed Solomon to a point and had given him so much wisdom that even his servants said it's a pleasure. And can you imagine a place like that to the point that the Queen of Sheba says the half has not been told. And I think that when we get to heaven, that is going to be our reaction. We are going to look at the golden streets and say, well, you know, I tried to imagine it and I just couldn't. We're going to look at the crystal sea and we're going to say, you know, I tried to put it in my mind, but I just couldn't. We're going to look at those gates and all the jewels that are in the gates. And we are going to uh, uh, just look at the splendor of heaven and the light that Jesus gives so that there's never any darkness. And we're just going to say, oh, the half had not even been told. The half could never have been told because we cannot comprehend what heaven is going to be like. But I do believe that's how it's going to be when we step into heaven. Well, Jerusalem at one point was a little bit of heaven on earth. And that was God's vision for Jerusalem. And that's why God placed his name in Jerusalem. And that's why God had his temple built in Jerusalem. It was to be a testimony to all the world. And for a short time, they actually fulfilled that to the point that this, this pagan queen went there and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God. That was the whole point of Jerusalem. But they, lost, they missed that point, and they lost that calling. Solomon became very self-serving, raised a self-serving son that would tear Israel into two and, uh, and separating the, uh, the tribes into two different nations. We know Israel to the north, also called Ephraim, and Judah uh, to the south. It was a constant decline from there. Just over 200 years after David is crowned king, Isaiah begins his prophetic ministry and would minister in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were all David's lineage and all reigned from a Jerusalem. That was a microcosm of what it once had been. 
Well, our text picks up as Judah's decline continues. Ahaz is now on the throne, and he is a wicked king who chooses not to follow God or the God of his ancestor David. Matter of fact, 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 2 says this of Ahaz. And keep in mind, this is who is king here in Isaiah chapter 7. This is who Isaiah is talking to, King Ahaz. And the Bible says of Ahaz in 2 Kings 16, verse 2, that Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, so only till he was 36. Because he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel to the north, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire. This man was so wicked and so deprived that he actually took one of his babies out of desperation, trying to gain some kind of victory. And he took his son and he, and he passed him through the fire. That means he offered him as a sacrifice to the pagan god Molech. According to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. Boy, in the days of Solomon, in the days of David, especially in the days of David, they were kicking these pagans out. And now King Ahaz has become one of these pagans as i sure as i said i'm sure that he performed this sacrifice out of sheer desperation desperation causes many a man to do some unimaginable things in our text we find that ahaz is in what he considers to be quite the pickle and in isaiah chapter 7 here at the beginning of the chapter we see why he feels like he's in such a pickle verse number one it says, it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, Uzziah being a good king, king of Judah that reasoned the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria, the house of David, that would be King Ahaz. Ahaz heard, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood, are moved with the wind. And so what has happened here, and, and what has taken place, um, Ahaz is, is now on the throne. And Ahaz is, uh, is in a pickle, as I said, simply because there is a confederacy that has joined forces against him, the king of Syria and the king of Israel. So what has taken place is Assyria, not to be confused with Syria, but Assyria is sweeping down and they are just, uh, they are consuming cities. And they are going to come down. And of course, God's going to use Assyria to consume Israel, the northern kingdom, and completely pretty much wipe them out. And, and, and um, uh, out of, well, again, desperation, the king of Israel, the northern tribe, joins forces with Syria. 
to fight Assyria. So what had happened is they had called up Ahaz. And they said, Ahaz, as you know, Assyria is wreaking havoc. Now, we've joined forces. We'd like you to join forces with us. So King Ahaz wisely does not join this confederacy. As a matter of fact, he is told by Isaiah not to join this confederacy. So as I said, the Syrians are wreaking havoc. And so these two kings, they form a confederacy. They ask Ahaz to join their alliance and Ahaz wisely refused. And so in verse number one here, we see that they go against Jerusalem, but they couldn't prevail. Verse number two, they're going to try again. Only now they are more determined And now they have committed more forces to go against Jerusalem. And in Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 2, the Bible says that Ahaz caught wind of it and that his heart was moved. That means now he's afraid. Now, the worst thing that you can be as a Christian, if you're going to take a stand, is afraid. And the Bible says he was afraid, he was moved, and the heart of his people as trees of the wood that are moved with the wind. Now they are not standing pat, they are scared to death, and he's beginning to waffle. His first incline now, or the first incline of King Ahaz, now he's thinking maybe I ought to form an alliance with Assyria, so that Assyria can protect me against Syria and Israel. This, however, would cost him dearly and would cause him to compromise. So before Ahaz makes such a condemning mistake, God in his mercy sends Isaiah with another proposal. God sends Isaiah with this message. Ahaz, don't join with Assyria Don't ally with the world, just simply trust in me. I'm simplifying it, but that's pretty much the message Isaiah brings to Ahaz. Trust in God. Don't join the world. Trust in God. Don't compromise. Trust in God. Can I say that that has been the message of the ages? Don't compromise. Trust in God. Don't join the world. Trust in God. Don't make worldly allies. Trust in God. To the church today, God would say, don't make friends with the world. Don't make friends with the world's music. Don't make friends with the world's philosophies. Preach the word. Practice the word. And, and, and do it without adulterating it, without mixing it with the world. Trust in God. And the message has not changed. Can I say this? In God, we should trust. God and God alone. Why, as God brings this message to King Ahab, God even, gra- even graciously offers Ahaz an opportunity to witness God's power firsthand. Let's go ahead and I want to begin in verse number 7, if you will, of Isaiah chapter 7. 
Isaiah chapter 7 and in verse number 7. As Isaiah comes to Ahaz and now is face to face with the king, the Bible says, well, not quite yet. The Bible says, thus saith the Lord, it shall not stand, talking about this confederation between Ephraim or Israel and Syria. God says it's not going to stand. It's not going to succeed. You don't need to join allies with the world. Verse number 8. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason, and within threescore and five years, that's sixty-five years, shall Ephraim be broken. And that was the case. That it be not a people. And it's not been a people ever since. Verse number 9. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is Ramelia's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Now, there is God's uh, challenge right there. Ahaz, if you don't believe me, you will not be saved. If you do not believe, you will not be established. So you've got a choice here to make. Either trust in God and be prosperous or trust in the world and it will cost you. Surely ye shall not be established if you will not believe. Verse number 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again unto Ahaz, saying. Okay, here's verse number 11, which sets up verse number 14. God says, ask a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. My, this is quite an offering. This is quite a proposal. So here God offers Ahaz the opportunity. You want to see my power firsthand? Just ask. You name it. I don't care if it's a sign that shakes the earth. I don't care if it's a sign that shakes the heaven. You ask, and I want to show you. I want to be your God. Instead of trusting God, however... Ahaz gives a very pious excuse in verse number 12. Verse number 12 says, But Ahaz said, I'll not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Such a pious answer. But you want to know why he gave such a pious answer? His mind was already made up. I'm not going to stand pat. I am not going to trust the Lord. I've already got the plan in motion And King Ahaz already had in mind, I am going to trust my own instincts. I'm going to trust my judgment. And I'm going to trust my sight, trust what I see. And I'm going to join with Assyria. It's amazing to me how people will oftentimes give pious answers when their minds are already made up that they are going to get out of the will of God, that they're not going to trust in God. Many are those who've justified getting out of church, giving some pious reason, like, well, you know, I've really prayed about it. Many are those who justify their immorality by declaring, judge not that you be not judged. And yet all that is, is just a misrepresentation of Matthew chapter 7. If you continue to read 
that chapter, you realize that we are supposed to judge and we are supposed to judge sin. I've been told on numerous occasions, Pastor, we just don't go to church on Sunday because that's my only day off. And so that's our family day. So pious, but yet so wrong. I can remember one time being on the phone with someone begging this individual, begging this individual, stay with your wife. Just, just, just uh, uh, let's go through counseling, but let's do the right thing. My, you start hearing all of these godly answers. Well, you know, I've just really prayed about this. God said in Malachi chapter 3, verse number 10, he says, you want, to, you want to experience power, the power of blessing? Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And yet many will give the answer, well, if I do that, I won't be able to provide for my family. And you know what the Bible says, that a man who doesn't provide for his own family is worse than an infidel. One time we had a situation, and some of you will remember, where we had a man in the family who was leaving his wife and leaving his kids, and then he moved into uh, moved into the home of another family in the church who I had to talk to and say, listen, you now, now you are aiding and abetting a sinner. And so now you are just as guilty as this individual. And now, uh, just by what you, what you are doing, you are in danger of church discipline just like this individual. And the answer given to me, well, God would have us help people and not just leave them homeless. We can always come up with pious answers as to why we're not going to trust God and trust his word. And Ahaz does the very same thing. Man, it sure sounds good on the surface when he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to ask a sign. I'm not going to tempt the Lord. You know what's written? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Taken out of context, Ahaz, because God has said, ask me, I want to show you a sign. I will shake heaven, I will shake earth. You know, Ahaz at that point probably could have said, well, Lord, would you wipe out Assyria for us? I think God probably would have, because I want to trust in you. My, he has given him a blank check. Here's a blank check. You write the amount on it, and it's yours. But Ahaz had already said in his mind, this is what I'm going to do. So the question must be asked and answered as it was given by Ahaz. Why should I put my trust in the Lord? And that's the question that Ahaz has to have answered for him. As he's been given this opportunity, ask of me, I'll give you a sign. I don't care if it's shaking heaven or shaking earth. You ask and I'll give you a sign. And Ahaz asked the question, why should I put my trust in the Lord? I want to give you three reasons tonight. 
why we should put our trust in the Lord. Reason number one, because the Lord is all-powerful and can do great things. The Lord is all-powerful and can do great things. Why should I stay with my spouse? Because the Lord is all-powerful and can do great things. Why should I stay in church when I've been offended? Because God is all-powerful and can do great things. Why should I trust the Lord with my finances? Because God can do more with your finances than you can do with your finances. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. God is all-powerful and can do great things. And understand this, like a good father, God wants to bless us. Verse number 11, Isaiah chapter 7, God says, Ask a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Why? Because God can answer it. Because God can deliver. In Luke chapter 11, verse number 11, the Bible says this, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? It's a rhetorical question. This is Jesus teaching us that God wants to take care of us, but we got to put our trust and our faith in him. And so Jesus says, hey, if a son asks bread of his father, is his father going to give him a stone? When that little kid comes up to his dad and and reaches up and and, and says uh, uh, with his eyes, Dad, I'm hungry. Is a a dad going to take a rock and throw it on his head? A good father is not. A good father is going to pick up that kid and is going to take him and, and feed him. If a son will ask his father a fish, will he give him a serpent? No, a good father is not going to do that. Here's why. Because dads want to be a blessing to their kids. But remember, it's conditional. We want our kids to be obedient. We want our kids to trust us. Dad, why can't I go to this place? Uh, Listen, son, I can't explain everything to you, but you're just going to have to trust me. Dads want to be a blessing to their kids. Moms want to be a blessing to their kids. If a child asks an egg, will a father offer him a scorpion? All rhetorical questions. We know the answer to these questions. No. No good father is going to give his kid a scorpion or a serpent or hit him on the head with a rock. So Jesus asked this. If ye then being evil, that is every father in here is a sinner. And every father in here has made mistakes rearing their children. But we do our very best. And Jesus says this, if ye then being imperfect, being evil, being sinners, yet you know how to give good gifts unto your children... How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? We're talking about the Father who sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That's what we celebrate in December. 
The reason we get to celebrate this wonderful, wonderful holiday is because we have a father, a heavenly father, who wants to be a blessing. Parents can relate to this. There are times you want to do something for your kids and you can't because it's not within your means. Our Heavenly Father never has that problem. It's always within his means. God offered Ahaz an opportunity. Ask a sign of the Lord. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. A blank check. No limits. No holds barred. I'll shake heaven. I'll shake earth. Let me show you to trust in me. God's great desire is for us to trust him so he can do great things through us. When he was prophesying through Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 33, verse number 2, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. The rest of that goes on to say, but they wouldn't ask. John chapter 1, verse number 50. Jesus is getting his disciples to follow after him. One of them is convinced and said, uh, uh, thou art uh, God. And, and Jesus answered and said unto him in John 1, 50, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. Just follow me. Just come after me. Just trust. In his foolishness and self-trust, Ahaz would not take God up on his offer. My mind's already made up. He didn't say that. Oh, he gave some pious, quote, spiritual answer. But it was only because... He was already going to trust in himself. He was determined to join in an alliance with Assyria. Why trust in God? Reason number one, because he is all powerful and can do great things. Let me give you a second reason tonight why to trust in God. Number two, because rejecting him brings about unpleasant consequences. Rejecting him brings about unpleasant consequences. Everyone who says no thanks to God always seems to have some pious reason for doing so. But regardless of the reason or excuse, we need to be ready for the consequences. Ahaz's refusal to trust in the Lord would greatly cost him. Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 17. Isaiah says... The Lord shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon thy father's house days that have not come from the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of Assyria. In other words, uh, um, you're going to join alliances with Assyria and Assyria is going to turn their back on you. And there's going to come days upon you unlike any this nation, any this city has ever experienced because rejecting God brings with it great consequences. 
Ahaz would suffer at the hands of both Israel and Syria because of his rejection here. Second Chronicles 28 verse number 5 says that the Lord Ahaz's God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria and they smote him and carried away a great multitude of them captives and brought them to Damascus. He was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel who smote him with a great slaughter. So uh, despite the fact that he allied with Assyria, Syria and Israel would still both make him pay dearfully. Ahaz would also go on to have his alliance with Assyria, but it would cost him much and gain him nothing. Listen to this, Second Chronicles 28.16 says, At that time did King Ahaz send unto the kings of Assyria to help him. So he's made up his mind. He's rejected God's offer, and he's reached out to the king of Assyria and said, Will you help me? In that same chapter of 2 Chronicles, chapter 28, verse number 20. And Tilgath Pilneser, king of Assyria, came unto him and distressed him, but strengthened him not. So instead of getting the help he wanted, and by the way, he would pay the king of Assyria what we would consider today millions and millions of dollars in gold and silver. And and he would even take things out of the house of God, out of the temple, and give them to the king of Assyria, hoping that the king would help him. But he didn't strengthen him. The Bible says that instead he didn't help him. And as a matter of fact, listen to this. Ahaz took away a portion out of the house of the Lord out of the house of the king. So in other words, he took it from God, he took it from his own house and of the princes and gave it unto the king of Assyria, but he helped him not. The world won't help you. Listen, Christian, if you want to turn your back on God and reach out to the world, it'll only hurt you. My, the consequences will be great. It's always better to have hardship in the middle of God's will than to go outside of God's will because you will surely experience hardship at the hands of the world. Why trust in God? Because he's all-powerful and can do great things. Why trust in God? Because rejection brings about unpleasant consequences. Let me give you the last reason tonight. Why should I trust in God? Because our decision to accept or reject God touches the lives of others. You think it's a personal decision? It's not. Our decision to trust in God touches the lives of others positively. Our decision to reject God's offers touches the lives of those around us negatively. Our decision to accept God's counsel, it'll have a positive or a negative effect on others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when Paul is dealing with believers 
who come to know Christ as personal Savior after they're already married and then realize, man, this is going to be tough because I'm married to a, to an, a non-believer, an unbeliever. God says, simply trust in me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 12, Paul writes, he says, If any brother hath a, hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell, let him not put her away. That means don't divorce her. Don't separate from her. Stay with her. Because the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Because the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. In other words, the wife who is a believer and serves the Lord, her decision to serve the Lord is going to have a positive effect even on her husband. Her decision to serve the Lord is going to have a positive effect even on her children. The unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband who believes. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. You know, after this miraculous sign, we learn of the conditions. Ahaz says, I'll not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. So Isaiah says, fine. Look at verse number 14. I'm sorry, verse number 13. Hear ye now, O house of David. That's directed at Ahaz. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? In other words, Isaiah obviously has ministered to Ahaz and has already been very discouraged by him. Been totally frustrated by him. And now Isaiah comes to Ahaz with a direct message from God and says, Hear what the Lord has to say to you. God is offering you an opportunity. Are you going to take it? And he says, Well, you know, I would, but I'm just too pious. I'm just too holy. And Isaiah says, Are you kidding me? You know, it's bad enough that you frustrate me. It's bad enough that you discourage the man of God. But will you frustrate God also? Understand this. There will be great consequences. So verse number 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. But verse number 15 tells us how Ahaz's decision is going to affect even the Messiah. Butter and honey shall he eat. By the way, butter and honey are the food of nomads. In other words, the Messiah is going to be born into a nation that's not really a nation at all. You realize that after Babylon carried Israel away, there was a remnant that got to return and they built the city and they built the temple. But you you do understand that that city was never theirs after that. It belonged to the Medo-Persian Empire. They had to have permission from the Medo-Persian Empire to build that temple 
and to build the walls of that city. And then it was under uh, Greek rule. And then it would be under Roman rule. And when Jesus was born, it was, going to, it was going to be under the rule of Roman. Israel was not her own nation. Israel was not independent. They were like a nomadic people. They were a people without a home. And butter and honey shall he eat. Verse number 16, before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings and the Lord shall bring upon thee. So there's obviously there is uh, there is uh, an immediate fulfillment of this prophecy, which was just a foreshadowing of the actual fulfillment of the prophecy when Jesus would be born of a virgin. So this is, the Messiah would not be born in a nation that was powerful and profitable as it had been under David and Solomon. Ahaz was given an opportunity. Ask a sign. I'm giving you a blank check. I'll shake heaven for you. I'll shake earth for you. But you have to trust me. He says, if you will not believe, surely you will not be established. Sadly, Ahaz's refusal didn't just affect Ahaz. Adad's refusal to trust God is not going to just affect the dad. It's going to affect the entire family. Uh, when we choose to go against God, when we choose to make that decision, it has a ripple effect and it's going to affect many people. Instead of being born into a powerful, profitable nation, it would be a land that would be constantly troubled. Look at verse number 21, Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 21. And it shall come to pass in that day that a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep. And it shall come to pass that for the abundance of milk that they shall give, he shall eat butter, for butter and honey shall everyone eat that is left in the land. And it shall come to pass in that day that every place shall be where there were a thousand vines and a thousand silverlings, it shall be even for briars and thorns. We hear about Israel being the land of milk and honey. Have you ever visited there? It's not. And it probably hasn't been for a very long time. One of the things that uh, struck me when I went to Israel is I have read in the Bible where the seven spies went through Israel and then even later on in Solomon's day. And my, it was a land that flowed with milk and honey. And you look at it today Man, they're in the middle of a drought. It's barren. It's a place you wonder why, why anyone would want to live here. Now we know all things are going to change when Jesus comes and sets everything right. But the bad decision of some kings has cost that land greatly. And when Jesus was born, when the Messiah came, Butter and honey would he eat. 
the food of a nomad, living in poverty, not living in wealth. And those are just the sign that would be given. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, the sign giving would be so astounding that those involved would have serious questions. You know, when Mary was made aware that she was going to be the one to give birth to the Messiah, her question was this, how can this be seeing I know not a man and God gave the answer, it's going to be miraculous. It's going to be incredible. So miraculous was this sign. And I say this because there are those who will tell you, well, this was not a literal virgin. But we know that when the uh, prophecy was ultimately fulfilled, it was a literal virgin. To the point that Joseph, when he heard the news, didn't believe it himself. This is an impossibility. I don't know what has happened, but certainly I know this, that child is not mine. The Bible says that Joseph, being a just man, had determined to put her away privately. He didn't want to make a public example of her. But nonetheless, her reputation in his mind was tainted because this was a miraculous sign. And God had told Ahaz, ask a sign, either in depth or height above. What kind of a sign is a simple maiden giving birth? No, the sign would be that a virgin would give birth. So literal was the sign Mary had to ask, how can it be? And Joseph had to be convinced by God in a dream. It happened. So take your espoused wife, Mary. Why should we trust in God? Well, because he's all-powerful and can do great things, even cause a virgin to give birth to a child. Why should we trust in God? Because rejection brings about unpleasant consequences. And no matter how pious your answer for not serving God, are you ready to face those consequences? Why should we trust in God? Because our decision to accept or reject God touches the lives of others. My, we live in a selfish society where we'll make decisions because I deserve the very best for me. Well, what about what it's doing to those around you? Well, God wants us to trust in him so that we can be a blessing to others. In God, we should trust. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and with every eye closed.